Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening. My name is Andrew Roberts from the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research, the Royal Melbourne Hospital and the University of Melbourne. The title of my talk is Venetoclax, a Primer. With respect conflicts of interest, I declare that I have received research funding from AbbVie and Genentech, the co-developers of Venetoclax, and the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute receives royalty income related to Venetoclax. I have no personal financial interest. I also receive research funding from Janssen and Servier. Venetoclax is the first FDA-approved drug to directly inhibit BCL2. This primer will briefly review its mechanism of action, the rationale for targeting BCL2, the hematological malignancies where venetoclax has shown activity as a single agent, and also discuss preliminary data highlighting the potential for combination therapy. So what is venetoclax and how does it work? Originally called ABT199, venetoclax was developed specifically to inhibit the function of BCL2, an intracellular protein known to be important in the survival of many hematopoietic cancer cells. High-level expression of BCL2 in blood cancers is associated with resistance to apoptosis, enabling these cells to more effectively survive and adapt to challenges such as proliferative and metabolic stresses associated with strong oncogenic drivers, DNA damage from chemotherapy, and loss of microenvironmental survival signals. Theoretically, inhibition of BCL2 should induce malignant cells that are dependent on BCL2 for survival to undergo apoptosis. The key to the development of venetoclax was creation of a drug that mimicked the action of the naturally occurring antagonists of BCL2, the BH3-only proteins. In healthy cells, BCL2 prevents cells undergoing apoptosis by inhibiting the activation of two related proteins called BACs and BAC. Apoptosis only occurs when BACs and BAC are activated, and for this to happen, BCL2 has to be inhibited. Normally, apoptosis is triggered when so-called BH3-only proteins are produced or activated due to cellular stress. These BH3-only proteins bind and antagonize BCL2, allowing BACs and BAC to initiate the disruption of the mitochondrial membrane which is the first critical step towards apoptosis. In nature, there are multiple BH3-only proteins that bind both BCL2 and related proteins that have similar pro-survival functions, such as MCL1 and BCLXL. By modelling how these BH3-only proteins bind and inhibit BCL2, chemists were able to design a drug that acted like a BH3-only protein but was specific for its inhibition of BCL2. So venetoclax is what is referred to as a BH3 mimetic, 
and it acts more selectively against BCL2 than any naturally occurring BH3-only protein. So why target BCL2? Well, firstly, BCL2 is overexpressed in many hematological cancers through mechanisms such as chromosomal translocation, as seen in follicular lymphoma, through gene amplification, and genetic loss of negative regulatory elements such as MIR-15 and MIR-16 in chronic lymphocytic leukemia. High-level expression of BCL2 is observed in the great majority of samples from patients with follicular lymphoma, CLL, mantle cell lymphoma, Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia, and multiple myeloma. BCL2 is more variably expressed in other cancers, such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, T-cell lymphomas, and acute myeloid leukemia. A second reason to target BCL2 is that in animal models, enforced overexpression of BCL2 is associated with resistance to standard cytotoxic chemotherapy. But susceptibility to venetoclax either alone or in combination with other therapies. The third reason is that preclinical testing using primary patient samples indicates that inhibition of BCL2 by venetoclax is highly active against nearly all CLL cells and mantle cell lymphoma cells and against some subsets of lymphoma, myeloma and AML. Turning to clinical data with venetoclax monotherapy, venetoclax commenced clinical trials in mid-2011 and was FDA approved for its first indication, previously treated deletion 17P chronic lymphocytic leukemia in April 2016. I'd now like to summarize what we have learned to date from clinical experience with venetoclax. Firstly, pharmacology. This drug is taken once daily as an oral medication and it's principally metabolized in the liver. It is significantly better absorbed when taken with food. Peak concentrations are reached approximately six hours after ingestion and with daily dosing there is minimal drug accumulation. Exposure is approximately dose proportional between the doses of 300 and 900 milligrams per day. There is no clinically applicable assay to measure whether full inhibition of BCL2 has been achieved in vivo, and so the determination of the recommended phase 2 doses has been based on modelling and on the balance of efficacy and safety observed in early phase clinical trials. For patients with relapsed CLL, the approved daily dose is 400 milligrams per day. The recommended phase 2 doses are higher for patients with B-cell lymphomas, multiple myeloma and acute myeloid leukemia. And now some words around the clinical experience in chronic lymphocytic leukemia. The most extensive clinical experience to date has been in patients with relapsed or refractory CLL. The phase 1 trial revealed potent anti-CLL activity in patients receiving doses between 20 and 1200 milligrams per day. Circulating CLL cells undergo apoptosis and are cleared rapidly and the median time to objective response is six weeks. Across a range of doses the overall response rate was 79% including 20% of patients achieving a complete remission. 
the chance of responding was not affected by the presence of negative prognostic factors. The Phase two study was conducted in patients with previously treated deletion 17P CLL. That trial confirmed the 79% response rate and projected a 12-month progression-free survival estimate of 72%. Venetoclax has recently been reported to induce similar response rates in patients whose CLL has failed treatment with a brutinib or idalilisib. Some patients have now received over four years of continuous therapy with venetoclax. Maximum cytoreduction may take greater than one year to be achieved, and a minority of patients actually achieve a complete response with no evidence of minimal residual disease by multicolour flow cytometry. Longer-term follow-up suggests that the most durable responses are seen in those patients who achieve a CR. With respect to safety of treatment with venetoclax, the drug is generally well tolerated, with only 9% of patients discontinuing because of toxicity. The most common side effects are gastrointestinal. Mild nausea and sometimes vomiting are common early after commencing therapy, and mild diarrhoea can be problematic in some patients. Reductions in neutrophil counts are also common, with approximately 50% of heavily pretreated CLL patients experiencing absolute neutrophil counts of less than 1,000 per microliter at some time on therapy. Despite the neutropenia, serious infections and febrile neutropenia were relatively infrequent in the trials. The neutropenia reflects an on-target toxicity on granulocytic progenitor cells in the bone marrow and responds promptly to intermittent doses of GCSF. Neutropenia is also observed in patients with lymphoma and myeloma, but is less frequent at between 11 and 20% of patients on the early phase trials. Early in clinical development, tumor lysis syndrome was the most serious complication of venetoclax therapy in patients with CLL, particularly in patients with very high tumor burdens. However, with the introduction of a five-week ramp-up in dosing from 20 milligrams per day through 50, 100, and 200 milligrams per day to the final dose of 400 milligrams per day in week five, and with careful monitoring, tumor lysis is now avoided, and most patients can be managed safely in the ambulatory setting. As of January 2017, venetoclax has been approved in the United States, Canada, Australia, and Europe for therapy of previously treated patients with deletion 17PCLL. In Canada and Australia, the approval also extends to patients with CLL without deletion 17P and for whom there are no other available treatment options. In Europe, patients with either deletion 17P or TP53 mutations are approved if they are unsuitable for or have failed treatment with a B-cell receptor pathway inhibitor. Approval in Europe also extends to CLL without these genetic changes if previously failed both chemoimmunotherapy and B-cell receptor pathway inhibitors. What about experience in other BCL2 expressing hematological malignancies? Mantle cell lymphoma also appears to be highly susceptible to single agent treatment with venetoclax. In the phase one study, 75% of patients with relapsed or refractory mantle cell lymphoma achieved responses 
including 21% with complete responses. Somewhat surprisingly, follicular lymphoma does not appear as sensitive to venetoclax as a single agent. Responses were observed in 38% of patients, including 14% of patients with CRs. In keeping with the observations in patients with CLL, patients who did achieve CRs had durable responses. However, the drug is less active against relapsed diffuse large B-cell lymphoma where responses were infrequent and short-lived. Preclinical data predicted that among patients with myeloma, those with translocation T1114 disease would be most responsive. Indeed, the phase one data confirmed this with a response rate of 40% seen in T1114 myeloma, while there were few objective responses observed in other genetic subtypes. Outside the B-cell malignancies, venetoclax has also shown activity against AML. In the Phase two monotherapy trial of 800 mg per day, complete remission or complete remission with incomplete count recovery was observed in 6 of 32, or 19%, of patients with relapsed acute myeloid leukaemia. A further 19% of patients showed evidence of anti-leukaemic activity that did not meet these standard criteria for response. Consistent with preclinical predictions that AML with IDH mutations would be most sensitive to venetoclax, the complete remission rate in patients with IDH mutant AML was 33%. However, responses were generally not durable and the median leukemia-free survival was only 2.3 months. The clinical trial data to date, therefore, with follicular lymphoma, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, myeloma, and AML indicate that as a single agent, venetoclax is only highly active in subsets of these diseases. In both myeloma and AML, dependence on BCLXL or MCL1 for survival in functional assays in vitro appear to predict lack of response in patients. Collectively, the preclinical and clinical data indicate that the future clinical application of venetoclax will be in combination in these diseases. I now like to talk about clinical data for venetoclax in combination with other drugs. During 2017, we will see the first peer-reviewed publication of trials combining venetoclax with monoclonal antibodies, with tyrosine kinase inhibitors, with hypomethylating agents, and with DNA-damaging cytotoxics. In preclinical model systems of B-cell malignancies and AML, synergy has been demonstrated for such combinations. Key questions include, one, how substantial an increment in efficacy can be achieved over single agents or current combinations? And two, whether there is significant additional toxicity, especially when venetoclax is added to chemotherapy. In CLL, the early indications are that combinations with anti-CD20 antibodies are both highly tolerable and increase the proportion of patients achieving complete remission and also minimal residual disease negativity. In a very recent publication, a venetoclax plus rituximab combination was reported to induce complete remissions in 51% of patients with relapse CLL 
with a minimal residual disease negativity rate of 80% in complete responders. Similarly, obinutuzumab and venetoclax were reported at the ASH 2016 meeting to achieve 100% response rates in treatment-naive patients, with 80% being complete responders. Such results have prompted the design of trials comparing venetoclax and CD20 antibody combinations with standard chemoimmunotherapy. Also reported at the EHA and ASH 2016 meetings were preliminary data for combinations of venetoclax and abrutinib in mantle cell lymphoma or in CLL and venetoclax with bortezomib and dexamethasone in myeloma and venetoclax with either hypomethylating agents or low-dose cytosine and ravenicide in patients with acute myeloid leukemia. All suggested higher response rates than historically expected and none reported major additional toxicities. Randomised trials are now accruing to assess these regimens against standard of care and other trials are assessing the efficacy of venetoclax in combination with standard chemoimmunotherapy. In conclusion, the introduction into practice of venetoclax now provides an additional line of therapy for patients with deletion 17p CLL. However, the true therapeutic potential of BCL2 inhibition is only just beginning to be explored. As trial data emerge over the next two to three years, we will learn whether the addition of venetoclax to existing treatments augments response rates and durable remissions in other B-cell lymphoproliferative diseases, myeloma and acute myeloid leukemia. You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks is performed by the Art Tipolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Tipolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.